So good morning to you and uh, just add my welcome if you're visiting for the first time. Uh, you just dropped into Trinity with us today on Gift Day. You, you are so welcome. And uh, I just want to, uh, uh, we really do aspire, uh, obviously, to do things as well as we can. But I'm going to just say, I love the family feel this morning. I really do, genuinely love that. And yeah, one or two things haven't quite gone exactly slickly and smoothly. But you know what? God is still God. God is still God. And I love us being family. I just felt such a, such a sense of the Holy Spirit when we were singing earlier. I'm sure you felt that same thing. And we are family and when we think about finance, I just think God's wanted to do something. I'm not trying to see silver linings in clouds and all of that sort of stuff. I just want to be honest and say, I just think, you know, maybe God's saying to us, we're talking about family finance this morning. We're talking about us and the way we share in what God is doing. And that's us with all our great and glorious bits and that's us with the bits that don't always work out exactly. We're just honing on in on this verse. If you're joining us, Micah 6.8 just goes up on the screens. And, and we're just honing in on this verse in, in the middle of our Bibles about what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. We've been spiraling around it. We talked about what this verse teaches us about God, who he is, justice, mercy, humility. We then, we then talked about what does that mean for us as disciples to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. And now we're, we're into the, the kind of so what of us as a, a church family, this next set of three and the three uh, that are to come. And we're talking today about money. And of course, money is one of those kind of grown moments. So here's my three best Christmas cracker grown-ometers. Okay, I want to hear the groans. Are you ready? If money doesn't grow on trees, why do banks have so many branches? <laughs> when does it rain money? When there's a change in the weather. Why can't you borrow money from a hobbit? Because they're always a little short. Some of you are laughing. Careful. Come on. We've got to be cool about this. It's grown only. But of course, it's not a grown time, is it? Actually, it isn't a grown time. I, I'm just going to put it straight out there. You know, Nikki and I continue, uh, we'll be uh, been married 30 years next year. Uh, we continue to be on such a journey about money. I am not standing here, you know, as a, as a sort of paradigm, a paragon of virtue when it comes to money, okay? Uh, let let the, the baptistry open up and swallow me in if I try to pretend anything else. We are on a journey, but you know what? God doesn't want... He's not looking for people who think they've arrived. But God wants people who are on a journey, people who are willing to travel. So I'm, I'm sitting here worshipping God this morning and I'm speaking to myself and I'm trying to listen to the Spirit and saying, God, where do you want Nikki and myself and our family? Where do you want us to journey next? What's that next step when it comes to money? Because as this cartoon shows, money does have, doesn't it? Uh, a power in our world. Money is 
a deal that we need to, need to be thinking about. And this morning, as we think about money and we think about justice, what does it mean to act justly? Then the two do come together so powerfully, don't they? Money and justice. A guy called Richard Foster, who's written a number of books about journeying with Jesus. And he wrote one called Money, Sex and Power. He says, there is no human reality, no human reality that has the greater power to bless or to curse than money. No human reality greater power to bless or to curse than money. And we worship a God who wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. So let's think about that family this morning. Big picture, big picture. Well, some of you, if you're into this kind of stuff, a guy called John Rawls in 1972 wrote a, a, a book that at the time uh, it was said it attracted, no other book had attracted more attention in the Anglo-Saxon world than this book. It was called A Theory of Justice. And, and this guy, John Rawls, and people have responded to this book, and there'll be people uh, in our church family who know a lot more than I do about this, but people have responded to a couple of principles that he said about the big picture of money and justice. His first principle was, there are a set of basic liberties. There are a set of basic liberties which every citizen within society should have a right to access. And those should be made available, those set of liberties, uh, as greatly as possible without disadvantaging anyone else. And his second principle, and this is the one that forever since and before and after and will, attracts the most amount of debate when we think about politics and uh, all kinds of things. That He said that social and economic systems should be arranged to bring the greatest benefit to the least disadvantaged so there's a massive debate, isn't there, about money and justice. That's the big picture that we're operating in. And many of you tomorrow, as you serve God in your place of mission, will be right on the front line of, of this one. We know that, uh, that money can enable things. It can enable liberties. But we also know that money can be used to handcuff you and take away liberty. So we know as a church family that next year we've got to get up even more in prayer and we've got to get up even more in action when race week happens. We've actually got to say there is injustice that happens around that occasion as well as wonderful glorious things that are to do with money and the misuse of money. Why are women bust into Cheltenham for a particular horrible, horrible purpose? It's about money. It's about money. There's another principle, of course, about difference that flows and is debated as you think about this big picture. Uh, to, to what extent is it right for there to be difference in society? In what way should, is it right to, to enable difference? You know, in what way do we really believe in the, in the trickle-down effect? Now, I'm not trying to be party political here, but I am saying that our God is bothered about the whole of his creation and all of justice. God is not a sideshow on a Sunday. God is bothered about the whole deal. He's bothered about justice. 
And I have to challenge myself. You know, if I go along with the sort of trickle-down dialogue, narrative, that somehow my wealth will trickle to others, is that good enough? So people can be driven by money, cursed by money, modern day slavery. But of course also people can be set free by money. You'll have seen reference to the farm schools project that we support as a church family in Caricho. We're family, we're Christians in Kenya, in Caricho. And we put money, money goes into microfinance projects, farm schools. And it changes people's lives. Thank you. Thank you for being part of that. So let's just remind ourselves about three truths that the Bible teaches us about money as we think about justice, big picture, and we think today about our family and our money together. The first, of course, is that money is not a neutral commodity. Now, I, I kind of guess a lot of us know this to be true. I mean, why do people rob banks? Why does money attract people to do certain things? Money, Jesus told us, is not a neutral commodity. It has a power. And, and if you haven't worked that out yet, please today see the truth of this. Money does not sit in a bank account neutrally. Jesus said there is a power. He said where your treasure is, there also is your heart. And when the Bible speaks about heart, it means everything that it means to be a person. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. And so Jesus taught about the relationship between faith and money in 18 out of his 36 parables. He talks about money and possessions. Now, I don't know whether you, you know, I've heard that a hundred times, a thousand times, or even today it's for the first time. But I can tell you the truth from my own personal experience and the, the, the tension I feel within myself when I think about money, that we have to recognise this truth. Money is not neutral. Money has an impact on us in this part of the world and particularly in this kind of place, Cheltenham to an even higher degree than is true so where, in so many other places. We have the most amazing opportunities. But with those opportunities comes the greatest of responsibilities. We are outrageously, outrageously wealthy compared to so many in the world today. That's not to lay guilt on us. That's to say, come on. Let's recognize that truth. Let's say to God, what difference can we make 
with the amazing wealth that we have. And of course, that leads on to two other things, two other simple but profound truths when it comes to money. The first is that we need to think about our money in relation to worship. When you're out tomorrow, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you will be involved in acts of worship, I pray. Every time you write an email, every time you answer the phone, every time you speak to someone, you have an opportunity to worship God. Because in that moment, you have an opportunity to say, God, this is how much you are worth. And with our money is the opportunity to worship God. To say, God, I know the truth that everything, everything, everything comes from you. It's all yours. It's all yours. And I am going to live in response to you. And when that gets personal, that means we do not need a single person in this church family to give anything that you do not feel comfortable about giving. God does not need your money. God is not wandering around in heaven going, I'm a bit short this week. Could you have a gift day? God does not need a penny, a penny out of any sense of guilt or obligation. But in the economy of the kingdom of God, every penny that is given with a cheerful heart is maximized beyond your wildest possible dreams. When it is an act of worship, our verse, Micah 6.8, is all about people that had turned a relationship with God into a set of religious rules and duties. God doesn't want that this morning. God doesn't want that this morning. But we do have the opportunity to take control of our money and to worship God through it and with it. And then, of course, that leads on, as David's testimony helped us to think, that money and faith, money is a faith builder when you use it as you are called to by God, by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's contrary to the, to the consumerist kind of, what am I going to get for my money? We really uh, had to ask ourselves as a, a leadership whether we wanted to do this card or not, because our heart is to share what happens through and in this family. Many of us don't have the privilege, do we, of seeing the 8,200 meals being served. But we were really cautious because we don't want to play into the, what do I get for my money? That's consumerism. But when money is given freely and cheerfully to God's work, when we step out as David shared, it's a faith builder. Faith is a doing word. And Jesus said he's interested in people, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Faith is trust. Faith is what you do when you don't know where the next bit of money is going to come from. Not when you do know where it's going to come from. 
And so what does God want to say to us today about worship and faith building? Again, back to that big picture. And I don't have time this morning to do it justice. But in terms of justice and money, the narrative of our world, as I've said, is about creation, God's overwhelming provision of all that is required, the abundance of resources. And then it is a narrative where sin comes in, where people say, that belongs to me. And then you get the terrible things we see around us. But God is also the God of redemption. And his story is unfolding. Jesus Christ has come and died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, including and perhaps even especially for those involving money. And so the narrative is going to carry on to restoration of all things. And we are called to play a part in the big narrative of all things the redemption and the restoration. As I've already said, the economy of the kingdom is that small things have a massive fruit. We've heard on this platform already over the last few weeks and months of people who are making a difference in their daily lives into the big picture by the way that they, as Richard Foster again says, are living rightly. So here's three things that we can do as part of the big picture of justice when it comes to money. The first is we can recognise the truth of where we are. We can come before God and say, this is God where I've got it right and this is God where I've got it wrong. And we do want today to be so much a celebration and a thanksgiving for all the giving financially and time and talents that goes into this church life. We want this to be a, a moment of thank you as much as ever a moment of, of stretch and encouragement to grow in faith. But God wants every one of us to come before him, not because he wants to put guilt and shame on us. We've talked about that so many times in this series, but he wants us to have freedom. If you're here and you're weighed down by money, if you are weighed down by you've just got well serviced or even badly serviced debt. God wants to set us free. Paul, who wrote so many of the letters in the second part of our Bible, didn't he, to new Christians and to maturing Christians, said, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content with what I have. And the second thing we can do is deploy our money, as Richard Foster suggests. We can deploy our money to good things. 
And so we can do that within our church family. That's, that's part of the glory of being part of something that's even bigger than ourselves. And I hope you do feel part of it. We can, we can say thank you, God, that through our church family, we can have the mission partnerships that we have. We can do the Transform Mercy Ministries that, that, that we're involved in. We can celebrate that as part of our story as God's people here. And of course, we can deploy our money wherever we are and, and in whatever setting God places us. And it's so powerful, so powerful that we are people of influence in so many arenas of life. And we can deploy our money for goods. So we think seriously about our giving through our church family and our giving to others around our church family and beyond. And the third principle then that follows from that is we're called by God, I believe, to do what we can with what is in our hand. Do what we can with what is in our hand. David already referenced it earlier without knowing I was going to say this. The Bible makes a contrast between being tight-fisted in Deuteronomy and open-handed. And so, friends, whatever you feel like, whatever is your circumstance, what do you have in your hand with which you can be open-handed? Maybe it is the most precious gift of all, time. Time to spend with somebody. Maybe it'll be your home. Maybe it will be possessions. Maybe it will be your money. God does not say to you, if only you had more, then we could do a good deal. God says, be open-handed. And that will build faith. And that will be your act of worship. He wants people who are traveling, not people who think they've arrived. And so that brings us to this moment and our gift day. A gift day that is part of our thoughtful planning and budgeting. A gift day that has practical benefit because each of us knows that our circumstances ebb and flow through the course of a year. We rely so heavily and thank God so much for the regular giving that goes through our church life. But also here is a day to take account of how things are practically to say, God, I want to give to your work through my church family. And that's why we budgeted for it. Some churches don't. We choose to. Because we think it's wise. And also a gift day as an opportunity for worship and faith building. A guy called Tim Keller, who's written a book on our bookstore, Ministries of Mercy, says that Christian giving should be sacrificial. It should be a lowering of our lifestyle in order to invest in mercy ministry in God's work. But in, call, in line with God's calling. And also in line with being good stewards in our own families. This gift day is an opportunity to do all that we've already been doing 
in an open-handed way, to support it in an open-handed way. And finally, it's an opportunity to sow into our vision as a church going forward. And I am absolutely delighted that I cannot tell you what that looks like. I'm delighted that I can only ask you in faith to sow into what God is calling us. I know that it will be in line with everything that God has and is doing with us. It will be God's horizon, so it will inevitably draw us closer to him. It, it will be so big that only God's power will be sufficient. It will stir us all as a community, and so we will all want to be involved in it. And it will be integral to God's mission, God's redemption, and God's restoration. And so it will fill us with hope and a sense of excitement. We've had prophetic words given to us about the new thing which is coming, the new thing that God wants to give us, but we've also been told we need to be ready to offer up to him then all of the old. All of the old. I mean, I could tell you all kinds of neat things. I could try and spin you a line about what the vision might look like and make it sound inspiring. But it has to be beyond, beyond what I can imagine. And so I am playing a trust card. I am. I am saying, do we believe in ourselves as a church family so that we can give without knowing exactly what it will look like. I don't mean foolishly. I don't mean without prayerful consideration. But I do mean into something that is even beyond what we can see clearly now. Engaging with public life, with the life of our town and our city and beyond. A priority for the poor and the disadvantaged. Taking, taking God's justice in practical ways way beyond what we already do together. New partnerships with other churches and others across, across here. Saying to ourselves, we know that Trinity Cheltenham cannot do it all on its own. Is not called to do it all on its own. We are called to partner with others in kingdom work. And across the ages, yes, with our special concern for children and for young people, because we see in God's church that's not happening everywhere, but also for the older generations as well. And to resource mission, because there are places that need new church families. And we believe we are called into church planting. I can't tell you... I'm not offering you a neat vision slogan. I'm just asking you prayerfully to consider if God wants you to sow into the future. To say, I recognize that money is not neutral. My giving is an act of worship. And it is to grow in my faith. We have some time before we need to go and collect children. And so, shall we be quiet?
lots of words already this morning. Shall we invite the Holy Spirit to come?